Did you know that at the tender age of 17, IGGEDU co-founder Robert Grimm had his heart broken by his first love? His nanny, I think her name was Judy. It's true, he was crushed. Welcome to the IGGEDU podcast, where we talk photography, drink whiskey, and have an all-around good time with some of the best image makers this side of the galaxy. Season 5 of the RGGEDU podcast is brought to you by Tenma, who 25 years ago set out to create the most durable, versatile, and well-made bags in the world for photographers and for filmmakers. From shipping to transport, rolling in air cases, to shoulder and messenger bags, day packs and accessories, Tenma never compromises, and neither should you. In this episode, we're sitting down with the master of time lapses, Drew Geraci. Did I say it right? You said it right. That's yes. impressive. Yes. I got a little giggle when you said master of time Nailed lapses. It. I was like, well, that's not inflating Nailed my ego it. at all. It's great. And also it's Rob Grimm. And I think probably the most memorable time lapse, and correct me if I'm wrong, at least for me it is, is the intro to House of Cards, the political Netflix series with Kevin Spacey. It's such a good show. It's right? an amazing show. It really is show. a great show. It's an amazing, I mean, amazing show. I don't even watch the intro anymore. I'm like, I live that intro. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going straight to the meat and potatoes. Tell us about that intro. Yeah, I mean, so shooting that intro, I think, happened by accident, in all honesty. Really? Um, yeah, so I was in the military for 10 years, and I had gotten out yeah. uh, and decided, you know, I'm just going to go out and start trying time-lapse out. And I put together a little two-minute video of DC, threw it up on Vimeo, didn't think anything about it couple months later, I get a call. Hey, it's David Fincher. You want to come out for lunch? Have a good Holy time? Shit. Talk no, about you, a new project? David Fincher. Well, no. Just so, calls you up. Yeah, just calls you up. You're just like, hey, sure, what's going on? And you're like, you don't believe it. You're like, okay, whatever. Right. Sure. Somebody else is, uh, you Someone's know. Someone's fucking with me. One of my friends <laughs> is right. fucking with me. Somebody's fucking with me. This is great. But no, we, we ended up having lunch at Union Station and talking about uh, a new show. And it happened to be House of Cards. Uh, and it was basically the most direction I got was I just want to see dark gritty dc go out and shoot that and i was like okay that was the entirety of that the was creative the, direction that was the entire creative direction it's like it's a pretty awesome it's a brief, brief yeah very brief <laughs> yeah. but very on point i was like i can do dark and gritty why yeah. not we can, dc's full of that yeah. so um you know we spent the the next six months shooting that so um originally and you'll six see it months. six months six months to shoot that i know really like, <laughs> it was crazy how many time lapses did you shoot that weren't used yeah so there's a total of i think 127 total time lapses um that were given to the actual production studio uh to sift through oh. um and with from that i think they chose 20 or so um out of that so there's a ton of time lapses just sitting in a vault somewhere not doing anything um but it was cool but originally when we started it was supposed to be a winter themed um show uh david really wanted something that was cold um and kind of stark uh, right to speak to the yeah the soul of the character exactly to speak to mr kevin spacey who uh, just annihilated the role as uh, frank underwood yeah yeah he crushes it yeah so it was a it was a fun experience i mean having to shoot that for six months and then coming back for season two to reshoot reshoot like 12 scenes um to make them more cold Mm -hmm. um was a fun endeavor um and since then we actually shoot all of the plate shots um that are in dc as well so season two has additional shots that you shot. Yeah. So again. actually, if you look back at season one and season two, there are two completely different openings. Uh, okay. And they even had Jeff Beale uh, rescore the second season um, to met or to to match some of the scenes that happen. Uh, like the final scene, if you look in the the first season, the time lapse at the very end. There's no car lights. 
that come on in front of the Capitol. But in season two, car lights come on and uh, Jeff Beal added this really awesome like bling sound yeah. effect to huh. it. Uh, and it really drives the, I think, the narrative of the story in a much more kind of sinister kind of feeling. So it feels good. So season cool. three and four, they didn't want to change anything? No, I petitioned too. I was like, you know what? You guys need a new intro yeah, every season. Totally they do. Yeah. Most, most series do that. Though, most right? series do that, exactly. And uh, believe me, we pitched it to the idea, but they're like, no. Why do you think they didn't opt to do a new one? Uh, well, from the phone call I had with, with David, it was just about the fact that he thought it was great the way that it was and mm. not wanting to change it. Oh, and I was like, okay, but yeah. you know, we, if you want to change it, I'm cool to change it. <laughs> Cause, okay, yeah. Mr. Fincher. Because cause that's one thing. I mean, we shot that back in 2011. Yeah. Um, and yeah. going back from now, I'm just like, oh, my God. My work is a piece of shit. Like, yeah. I could do this a thousand times right, better. Right, you want to redo it. Yeah. So compare and contrast both with hardware and your knowledge, like how you shot it then versus how you would shoot it now. I was, I was a, honestly, I was a kid when I shot that. So the, the knowledge base, you know, of dynamic range, resolution, and color space, you know, they really weren't in my head. It was really just about the content. And now I have all of that information and like a, a wealth of tools. I want to use that information and create better scenes and better compositions. Um, so I would totally redo the entire thing completely differently um, and really, uh, I would say, speak more to the city itself. Not to say that the intro isn't great in the, the way that it right. is. Uh, but I think there's a lot more with the technology that we have today, um, especially with the resolution and with dynamic range, that would really lend itself yeah. to creating a better intro. Let, let's back this up a little bit because we actually kind of just jumped right in with uh, House of Cards. Tell us about your your entry into this this business. I mean, you yes. came out of the military. How did you wind up then? My foreleg into time lapse. Yeah. Uh, so there's <laughs> there's two stories to this. Um, so I won't go into too much detail. But the original reason why I got in the time lapse is because um, I was working with a very world, world renowned photographer, um, and he had started shooting time lapse. And I was working with him alongside some other folks um, during a project. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do a time lapse too. And I did the time lapse. And this professional who I looked up to basically came down to me and said, this is the worst fucking thing I've ever seen. You know what? Don't ever fucking do this again. Seriously. And yeah, it was, it was so bad. And like totally demotivate, or, uh, demoralized, you know, my being yeah. as a photographer. And I was like, oh, man. And then I took that, I will say, rage at the time and was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to go out and do the best that I can wrong. and prove you wrong. That's when you flick the nuts. Yeah. That's, 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 a, that's a nut tap. That's right exactly there. what it is. Yeah. So in that vein, you know, I just got out of the military and I was like, okay, this is the perfect time. I've got downtime. I'm going to take, you know, the limited knowledge that I have and just go out there and do it. Or do it. And at the time, I was working with HDR photography and no one had done an HDR time lapse at that time. And that's combining three frames right. of photos together, which is the most painstakingly... Yeah. Um, Slow and laborious. Soul-killing uh, process ever. It, it literally took about 11 hours to do one 10-second uh, um, sequence. Oh, my God. So you figure doing 30 of those, you know, you're, you're talking it takes a full two weeks just to render that out. So it was yeah. pretty monotonous. That's mind-numbing. It, it is mind-numbing. Yeah. And then if you look back at the quality, you're like, this is, this is complete shit. <laughs> um, because we were using the 5D Mark II back at the time, which was only about, what, eight stops of dynamic range. Uh, so it's, yeah. you really were limited on what you could have for the highlights and the midtones and the shadows. So being able to, you know, use what well, I just, I'll tell you what, I was just using the, the A7R3 that just got announced today. Oh, you've been playing with it. I've been playing with it. I was and one of the, the first guys to use it. Yeah. It was, it's incredible. Um, yeah. it's definitely Sony's first pro A7 series camera. Yeah. Uh, and we were in New Zealand for 
a long time <laughs> shooting with it and put it through all of its paces. And it's by far the best camera um, I've ever used, uh, especially for time lapse. So, seriously? Yeah, seriously, hands down. Like, no bullshit. That's impressive. Um, so, I mean, what are the features that you love that the A7R2 didn't have? Well, so one of the big features that we're lacking from the A7R2 was the dual um, SD slots, um, but also oh, yeah. the frames per second. Um, because the R2 didn't have like a UHS-2 slot in it, it can only transfer up to realistically like 55 to 60 megabytes per second, uh, which wouldn't let you shoot more than two or one frame every two seconds, uh, which in the time-lapse world, if you're shooting things like people or fog, you want to be shooting in one-second intervals. Um, so it just couldn't buffer fast enough. Yeah. And with the R3, you're actually able to get three frames per second um, shooting time lapse, and if you're just saying you're doing regular photo mode, you can get up to 10 frames per second, wow. um, which a is a big jump, huge jump for 42 megapixels. I mean, yeah. this is an 8K image, um, yeah. so that's really tremendous for for time lapse photography. And then also having the addition of 15 stops of dynamic range um, versus I think the 13.8 or 14 that were in the R2. Yeah, they were, put, they were saying it was 14, basically pushing yeah. 14. Yeah, basically, um, but you basically get a whole stop. Uh, of additional light yeah, and which is big. it's huge and we were out there shooting the milky way and i'll be honest with you it's the best like astro camera i've, I've shot with because i was shooting literally at like 3.2 seconds at iso 1200 or 12,800. uh at uh, we were using the new tokina 25 at uh, t 1.5 mm-hmm. insane like the image quality is just like mind-blowing so oh, that's awesome astro photographers are going to love this camera so what are you using i want to talk about hardware a little bit uh, yeah. motion control systems Ooh, uh, motion that, control <laughs> yeah yeah what what are you uh using now that's allowing you to have that yeah well i'll tell you what for the last uh four three years now i've been using uh, kessler so we've been using the kessler second shooter mm-hmm. uh yep. the tls uh, as well as their sin drive system, which is more for our beefier setups. Yeah. Because um, sometimes, you know, when we have a full crew of like four or five, we'll bring out the sin drive system because it's pretty heavy. It's oh. really heavy. It's, we ridi- have it's one. ridiculously it's, heavy. We have one of them. It gives us fits. <laughs> if it's, it's not balanced correctly. Oh, oh really? Oh, yeah. If it's I mean, not, it, it just doesn't work. Yeah, but. yeah. It depends on the, the track that you're using as well. Yeah. Um, I've found that their newer one that just came out, the shuttle track, mm-hmm. uh, is phenomenal uh but i will say the other tracks are a little um unstable sometimes yeah, um, for that lot. yeah uh and compared to let's just say like the the revolution head that was out yeah. uh like 10 years ago almost yeah. it's such yeah. a huge step up now uh and actually i think kessler just announced a new time lapse system for um the sin drive and the second shooter that allows you to have multi time lapses um being shot at the same time so basically the camera takes a shot moves another frame really quick takes a shot and reverse back, back and forth uh, and that way you can actually program two moves at the same time. That's pretty cool. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. And then the fact that, you know, now that with the A7R2, that you can shoot multiple frames per second, so up to three frames per second, you could theoretically shoot three different time lapses at the exact same time at 42 megapixels. How would they be three different cool. time lapses? Well, and that's a, that's a great question. So you would think about doing it laterally, so you could have one that's just basic stationary that goes left to right yeah and then another one that could pan over time down left to right and then you can have one that parallaxes at the same time so you have three different time lapses going on basically or three different moves it's not necessarily different in the the fact that the scene is going to be the same sure but what you could do is also crop into one of those you know change the framing up a little bit yeah because it's Um, because it has all the megapixels yeah i think realistically what it's more beneficial for is stock photography or stock videography so if you're putting something out to your stock house, you have three different variations of the same shot mm. that you don't have to go back and reshoot. So if a company's looking to, to buy or license a, a, a shot, they have a lot of variants now. 
That's crazy. So who are walk me through who are your clients now? Who are who's buying time lapses and, and what else are you shooting? <laughs> Besides David Fincher. Yeah, well, besides David Fincher, um, I think everybody's buying time lapses. We've done a bunch of stuff. Um, Discovery Channel, NFL is a huge client for us. We do everything for the Super Bowl uh, and NFL draft. Um, so any time lapses you see there, that's us. Awesome. That's awesome. Um, and then um, working with A&E, Coach, um, Top Golf. We've just got a pretty yeah. big thing with them. Uh, and then also really just a bunch of different feature films, two that I can't talk about, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, but they'll be coming out very shortly. Uh, and just a myriad of just people that are just interested in licensing stuff. I mean, the most of our business comes from stock licensing. Uh, and I don't even know who was buying it. I, just, I was going to ask about the stock licensing. Yeah. I saw it on your site. And so that's the bulk of your business now? It's not the bulk of our business. Okay. I would say a good 40% of our income. That's still huge. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge part. Yeah, yeah. it's not small. Uh, but the stock game is is, is big. Um, and your library isn't that big yet for stock. No, so, it's really not, right, honestly. So this is something you can really... Grow. Keep expanding yeah. on it. Yeah, no. So I probably got about 2,000 shots that still need to be cataloged, and I have no time to do it. So it's, it's just one of those people things. To do that, man. And that's the next step. So, uh, yeah, you know, we're looking at actually either hiring two or three new folks and or getting a, a brick and mortar going uh, and working to a, make it a, like a full studio. Mm-hmm. So that's the dream. Business was great this year. We'll see how it goes, um, but it's a lot of overhead, and things are going really good. Yeah, a lot of your overhead. a lot of your equipment isn't cheap, and stuff like the Sin Drive, those are those are bulky. So, yeah, how is it managing places like you know the Matterhorn? Uh, <laughs> you know, that's a that's a hell of a place to get to with all that equipment. It's a it's a trip, man. Let it's me tell beautiful. you. Yeah, no, it was it was a fantastic trip, but it's like it was a time lapser's worst nightmare because ninety five percent of our days were just complete shun, or sunshine, uh, blue skies, no clouds, no shadows. Like it was <laughs> nothing to go across. There was the sky. nothing to to shoot. We were like, oh god, it's so beautiful, but it's, so it's too bad. pretty in Switzerland. Get me out of He's here. He's exactly right. Uh, we actually shot the majority of our uh, Matterhorn stuff on the last two days. That's when we got clouds. Really? Um, How many days were you there? 22. Holy cow. 23. Did you budget for 22? That's yeah. Like- yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Let me just tell you how expensive that was. It was for a Red Bull. And I think oh we had almost $50,000 in just travel expenses, um, like lodging. Hotels. Yeah. Hotels. Food. A cheeseburger was like 32 bucks. What? And the Swiss franc is more than the U.S., so it's oh, yeah. like yeah. $37, 38 bucks. That's, that's a good nice. cheeseburger. Yeah, it's a good cheeseburger. <laughs> a good cheeseburger in a beautiful place. Yeah, uh, but that was it was quite the experience. But back to your question, lugging all that equipment around is, is pretty tiresome. Um, and you know, we hired a couple guys. We had a couple grips with us. Um, I had two assistants at that at that time um, that were helping out with that project. What does your crew normally look like? How big are your crews? How many people are you traveling with? That's a good question. So it really just depends on the scope of the project. Yeah. Um, I think the typical base is two to three. Um, is our standard crew for just like a, a basic time-lapse project where we're shooting maybe for a week or two. Um, but there's some more elaborate projects. Let's say, you know, we're shooting features over in uh, China. We had a, a full crew of like 10, 12 people just for the time-lapse unit. Um, and that was probably more what I like to work with um, because you're able to direct folks and you ha- can get the shot that you want and not have to sacrifice because – it takes so long to set this stuff up, and especially if you're you're lugging around two or three hundred pounds of gear, right. um, 
it can be really stressful. So are you in a position now where you're really and truly directing this? You're directing what the other guys are doing there? They're your hands in that, in that sense? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, I mean, I do a lot of the hands-on shooting and the framing and whatnot, but now it's gotten to the point where there's just so much going on that it really comes down to me just directing folks uh, on doing you know, what my vision is mm-hmm. and then bringing that to life uh, and then you know, figuring out what the client wants and then relaying that to the, to the guys. Um, and I still love to get my hands dirty. I love to shoot it. I mean, with this whole, we were out in New Zealand shooting for the A7R three promo. Um, and it was just myself uh, and my buddy uh, who was doing some behind the scenes video, but we were out there carrying all the rigs, setting up all the shots. And that's what I love to do. I love to get out there and just get dirty and, and capture the beautiful images. I would imagine your business, you actually probably never have clients with you, do you? Like they give you briefs, they send you out, and you go do it. But you never have a client standing no, there looking I, over your shoulder I would say trying only to capture time lapse. Yeah, no, it was, it was it's 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 horrible. And I will say, like, there's been instances where I've had clients with me, and it just gets so annoying when somebody's breathing down your back. And I had one client who was here in New York, actually. I won't say who it was, but we were filming a promo, and he steps up right behind me. He's like, "Oh, should you be using that aperture?" Um, <laughs> oh my god, are you kidding? Yeah, I was like, "Are you fucking serious?" Yeah. He's he's like, "I was like, oh." Yeah, maybe you should increase the shutter speed just a little bit more so you can capture that action. And I'm like, sure, whatever you want, buddy. <laughs> like, you're the professional, and I just kind of roll my eyes and I go with what they go, and, and it is what it is. And we've also had instances where, like, oh, when we actually, so when we switched to Sony cameras, um, we had an instance where it was like, oh, you're not shooting on a Canon camera. You have to shoot on Canon. It's got to be the best image quality. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. And I'm like, are you fucking serious? Like, do you even know the difference between these cameras? Yeah. It's like, and they're like, oh, no. So I actually shot two test time lapses, and I didn't tell him what cameras they were from. And he's like, oh, yeah, see? This image quality looks amazing. Look at, look at this, the shadows and the highlights. I'm like, well, that's from my Sony camera. Uh, this yeah. is from the Canon. And yeah. I showed him the Canon one. He's like, oh, it looks like dog shit. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like well, that's kind of what happens. <laughs> I love Sony. I switched to it. Um, yeah. I've been shooting Hustle Blood forever. And that's great the A7R, too. yeah, well, it's amazing. <laughs> um, but the A7R, and I'm a studio guy. I'm in the studio. But having a smaller camera has really allowed me to move in a completely different way right. and think about my stuff differently. Oh, it's a, it's a pretty incredible, incredible little camera. I mean, it, what it can do. It <laughs> packs a punch. And yeah. the, the new R3, I think, is something that everyone's going to love just for the fact that it's a pro body, finally. It's not rinky-dinky. It doesn't feel like a toy. Yeah. It's got some girth to it. All right. Well, I'm, I'm encouraged to hear that because I read about it this morning. I was like, yeah. Eh, eh, eh. Have you played with the A9? No, I haven't. Okay. But I don't have a need for that because I'm yeah. a studio guy. I mean, that's really a sports camera, at yeah. least in my mind. Well, I think for you in the studio sense, the, the fact that it's got the, the IAF um, mm-hmm. is incredible. The fact that you can do continuous shooting at 10 frames per second, and it basically will track whatever the closest eye to the camera is uh, and give you perfect focus every time. I'm is, shooting wow. booze. Oh. I'm a booze guy. You're a booze guy. Well, then who gives a shit? <laughs> I don't need autofocus. You don't need fucking autofocus. You're good to go. But if you did... <laughs> Uh, so it's got are, that feature. Are all of your time lapses from still, from stills that you create? Do you do any from video? Yeah, everything is still. Yeah, I don't do. Do you think where? And I bring this up because uh, companies like Atomos have mm-hmm. recorders that allow you to to do time lapses even from a red. Sure. And then the, the time lapse is essentially done. Have you looked into doing absolutely? That? So I mean, I own a, a red Epic W, yeah. uh, and I shoot 8K time lapses using that sometimes. Um, the real benefit, honestly, from shooting stills versus video is the fact that you get that raw capability yeah. and you get that capability to ramp and post and really bring out the image. That's not to say you can't do that with a Red Epic uh, or a raw format from another camera. Uh, it's just 
diminishes the quality yeah. a little bit. It, it feels flat. There's not enough tonal range in it. Um, and that's why I think you shooting with stills is still the yeah. best way yeah, for doing it. What's so, the dynamic range on a red these days? It depends on which one you have. Um, but I think you're looking at around 15 stops. Somewhere in that range, but, but you really feel the quality is much better coming out of a still. Well, it's compressed. You have to, to realize, yeah, too. that's true. So it's it's a lossless uh, compression. So um, I mean, with the full fourteen bit raw in the Sony's, I mean, you you have all the information is right there. So you can really pull out you know the shadows, the highlights, and the midtones. Let's talk data management. Yeah, my favorite. <laughs> is it? It really is. Is I'm it a, a nightmare? No, I'm a fucking. Uh, uh, data management nerd really yeah. what's the average size of a time lapse that comes out well with the the r2 and the r3 and whatnot you're looking at probably 60 gigabytes per sequence of 400 photos oh that's uh, still nothing well it's, it's nothing but <laughs> yeah. i mean the fact so let's just talk i'll take the new zealand trip so yeah. i shot um everything was 8k full resolution and we filled up six terabytes of, of footage in the first three days um, and that's single frames. And when you have yeah. to throw that onto a system and manage it and process it, it takes a long time. Yeah. So it's a lot of data. Uh, and we re- recently just updated all of our servers um, to the QNAP uh, 10 gigabit um, servers so we can transfer at literally one gigabyte per second yeah. uh, back and forth. That was pricey. That's, yeah, that's pretty quick. Oh, my God. I love it. It's, yeah. it's so incredible. Uh, and it's something that you definitely need when you're, you're handling all of that data. So what does an installation for hardware uh, like that cost? Uh, honestly, I think it was pretty cheap, and I, I guess I use the word cheap loosely, but it was about seven grand. Yeah, um, for 120 terabytes. That's actually not bad. No, it's pretty good. Yeah, that's because that's a lot of storage. Yeah, and I've got 240 terabytes of server space, and then another 300 terabytes of just loose drives, um, chilling out. So I'm almost at my was it petabyte or exabyte? I don't know. Yeah, something. Petabyte. I think petabytes first. Petabytes first, yeah. All right, so walk us through your uh, workflow. Once once it's shot, what software are you using? Where does it go? Yeah, uh, software. I mean, that's yeah. that's the jam right there. So yeah. the processing part is, you know, you throw it into Lightroom. You make all of the fixings that you want. Um, and then depending on what your client's looking for, whether they want like a DPX format uh, or TIFF or RAW format, you really dictates where you go in your workflow. Yeah. Uh, but for a lot of my clients, what I do is actually export out of Lightroom as just a, a high-res JPEG. Um, and it still retains 95% of the quality. Uh, bring that into After Effects. Uh, do any kind of uh, warp stabilization or correction of images and, or uh, exposure smoothing that we need to do in there. We've got a, a whole uh, plethora of, of um, effects that basically smooth out any kind of um, flicker control or um, exposure bouncing and whatnot uh, that just creates a really nice smooth time lapse uh, and then from there we export it um, depending on what the client wants is a dpx or a synform 4k 8k file uh, new h.265 and then you know it goes to the client that way and or we then take it into premiere you know and edit with it inside of there so a lot of the effects and the things that you're cleaning up, are the, is that all custom stuff or are any of these plugins and things that you bought off shelf? Some of them, most of them are shelf. We've got one custom plugin that I worked with a developer for um, to really help with exposure smoothing. Um, and I'm really excited about it. I think there should be a market for it soon. <laughs> so we might release it. Nice. But it's a pretty awesome plugin that I may not want to release because it may get so people. Awesome. It's so awesome. Like, oh, this could hurt my job. Yeah, so keep we'll, it for yourself. We'll see what happens. Um, but really, I think one of the best anti-flicker tools out there is from Digital Anarchy. 
uh, I think it's like 99 bucks and it's just called flicker free and it works really well. Hmm. Nice. Um, so Have you tried ever to do this in capture one. Yeah. Yeah. So actually we, we do, I will say capture one is leans more, um, or it's more friendly towards Sony files. Um, whereas Adobe is way more friendly to Canon files. So the amount of time it takes to render is, is quite different between Lightroom and um, Capture sure. One. Capture One is actually um, much faster. So we're able to go in there, process it. I'm not a big fan of their batch capture or their batch exporting um, processing, and you can't retain metadata, and you can't bring that into After Effects. So it kind of loses some of its luster when you're doing time-lapse photography. Yeah. But if you're just doing, let's just say, a, day, a straight day shot where you don't have to ramp the exposure or do any kind of white balance changes, um, it's great. Uh, and you can do a quick export, throw it into After Effects, and then it's done. So After Effects is where it all comes together for you? Or what are you using After Effects for? Yeah, so After Effects is where you actually compile the images together to create the video file. Okay. And that's that's probably the best place to master any kind of time-lapse in. So are most clients having you master a time-lapse, or just they just want TIFFs or whatever it, it is? It really just depends on what the, the, the scope of the project is. But I would say 80% of our clients, we finalize and do all the color grading and whatnot. Um, that I would imagine want. you would hate to turn it over before it's been mastered. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. Not a, that's not a place you want well, to that, Well, that's the worst problem. So like sometimes you know when we do have clients looking over our shoulder, they'll look at the, the raw file and be like, oh, that doesn't look so good. And then I'm like, it's, it's a raw it's file. It's a raw <laughs> file. You know, we haven't finished uh, editing it yet. Would you say it looks yet. flat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you say it's dull, yes, it is. You're correct. Um, and that's what I hate. I hate not being able to, because that's honestly what, you know, as a photographer or an artist, that's the processing is your art right mm-hmm. there. And that is a, it's a very intricate and difficult part to do. Um, and it's something that I don't think a lot of people realize. They're like, oh, I just pump out photos and throw it into a video editor and I'm done. No, it's, it's really not it. I mean, it really comes down to the art of processing the image. Yeah, giving it your look. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How much competition is there out for you, out there for you? I mean, how many other companies or how many other dudes are doing this? Well, I won't say there's a lot of people doing it, but there's enough competition to where you know you have to stay on your toes and always keep reinventing yourself and putting out new content and trying to find a way to, you know, entice the market. But um, I'd say there's, I know professionally offhand, probably two dozen folks that do this, and we actually have a network on Facebook where we talk in a very closed secret group. Uh, and we discuss things like, you know, how much our prices should be, licensing rates, uh, and, you know, where the market's turning for time-lapse. Price fixing. That's like good. It. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> no, it's important, actually, to have some sort of cohesion in the market, not just have guys that are completely undercutting well, the other ones. And know? that's that's the big problem. So I'll say there was a guy in D.C. that we had a job for. It was a, I won't say what project it was, but there was a, a project, and we had bid, I think, somewhere around $20,000 for the project and it was an intensive kind of two-day project with a lot of post-production work and yada 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 uh and then you know i get a call from the producer like oh you know we really want to work with you you're the best but we got a call from somebody else and they're going to do it for two thousand dollars yeah and i'm like who's doing this for two thousand dollars i mean like yeah and that was the thing and i literally got an email back probably a week later saying sorry we didn't go with you we didn't really like what the guy produced but next time we'll go with you i'm like Cool. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> cool story, bro. Yeah. Cool yeah. story, bro. <laughs> Great, man. That makes me feel awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So, but that's the problem in the business. That's universal. Yeah, it you is. Know, yeah. It's just universal across the business. So, do you have things or techniques that you want to do to that to innovate time lapse? Like, like what's on the horizon? Yeah. What can we so, expect that's new. Well, so I think really there's two things that are going to be innovative with time lapse, and that's doing aerial time lapse with drones 
and then also bringing in VR time lapse. Uh, and I think both are going to be two immersive experiences where, you know, as, in the VR, you can immerse yourself in this world uh, with time lapse as it's happening and, and see your entire surroundings. Uh, and then with drone lapse, it's something new because drone lapse, drone lapse that's a totally new term. Yeah. Drone lapse. There we go. <laughs> Trademark patented uh, <laughs> reserve. Did you make that up? Yeah, no, I just did on the spot. There yes. we go. Look at that. That's crazy. All right, what is drone lapse? Let's hear it. Yes, I mean, drone lapse is just yeah. taking unless time lapse from, from the sky. Unless it's <laughs> from windy. a drone, unless it's windy. So, yeah. So, windy, you can't do it. Yeah. I mean, there's. I think there's probably one or two folks that are doing it right now. I wouldn't say they're doing it professionally. They're just kind of doing it in a, in a test realm. And it's looking really good. I think there's a lot yeah. of promise for it. And I think when battery life on drones can be extended to a, a lot longer time period, oh, yeah. I think the ability to shoot time lapse will be a very viable thing. So, yeah, at the most, thing. it's. 30 minutes? Yeah, 30 at minutes? the most 30. I mean, really. What, the, what do you need for, to, to create a good time lapse? I mean, does that thing need to fly for two hours? Seven to eight, right? Yeah, seven to eight hours. No, yeah. I mean, I think if you can get a, a straight hour um, of shooting yeah. in there and do like a really nice perspective motion move, you know, utilizing the, the drone as if it's a slider, basically, um, you can get these really fun perspectives. So what if you had two drones and then... You brought one up as the other one was getting ready, and then you just you know replaced it and brought, brought the other one down. I don't think it works like that. But, uh, you're going to have a stitching nightmare. There's going to be a stitching All of a sudden, nightmare. it's going to go. <laughs> maybe, maybe think like if if they start developing technology to know exactly where that. Well, thing actually, is, you know? can you do it through GPS to to? I'm sure you coordinate could. exactly. But the those problem is, is like there could be so like a slight variation in like the sensor distance to the to the lens or like the gimbal yeah. setup. Any kind of small change just. Yeah. Dramatically yeah, even, even changes. A half a degree is going yeah, to throw it all off. To throw it all off. Yeah. Uh, and I learned this the it's hard always way. Always something. Yeah. No. We had a. We were shooting for a project, and I had a, a, a director tell me, "He's like, oh, yeah, we want like a a thirty day time lapse here, but you have to move the camera every day uh, because you can't leave it here and you can't set up a stationary one." And I was like, "Well, you're not going to get a good shot. I'm just yeah, going to put that." He's like, "Oh, we'll fix it in post." And then. You know, we come to the day that we've basically moved the camera every single day to just a slightly different spot, and they're in post, and they're like, yeah, we can't get this to line up. What did you do wrong? And I'm like, I did nothing wrong, and I specified that you can't do this. It needs to be stationary the entire time. Uh, but a lot of people think that they can fix things in post. I hope they it, paid you anyway. They did. It was great. No, <laughs> so what are the cameras that are used when you see like a, a construction site go up, and it's like over the course of nine months? Yeah. What is that device? Well, it it depends on what device is being used. Um, so for some of our long-term time lapses, we do use photo sentinels, um, and you can use... Oh, so you are doing this for... What's the longest time lapse you've ever done? Three months. Three months, I right. think. Which isn't that long, really. It's just a little bit. But I would honestly be nervous with anything past that, because the amount of variance with weather, spiders building nests, things like that, it's just... Spiders building, so that's happened. It's yeah. happened to us, yeah. I think we were able to check it like once a week, but we came back this time with this giant spider that just blew a nest like right jerk on top of spider. it. Jerk spider. Yeah, jerk spider. Did you kill it? Hell yeah, I killed it. I hate spiders. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking all of them could die. Dude, burn the house down. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, for most setups, you know, you use a standard DSLR. Um, and if the client's cheap, you use a GoPro. Yeah, <laughs> and that's right. pretty much what it boils down to. So you just to. have to come back and maintain. What, what's battery life like that? Can you just set it and forget it for a week at a time? Well, so that's, that's the cool thing. So with like Photo Sentinel, you can actually use solar panels to power a oh, never-ending no battery, basically. Uh, it's connected directly to your camera. Um, and then we also, they just came out with a new unit that's 4G LTE connected. So you can actually see in real time what your shot looks like and download a JPEG or even a RAW 
uh, from the camera to an FTP. Oh, that's cool. So it really makes life a lot easier and less nerve-wracking. Can you also like, see the functionality of the camera? Like, know how, no. what the battery life is? You can see the battery. You can see all the stats, but you can't change any of the stats, unfortunately. And I think that's something that's coming, coming down later in the road. Um, so how expensive are these add-ons, these additional batteries? And I mean, that's got to add a significant cost to your... It's expensive. Yeah. I don't even want to say for tax purposes. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> we'll but it's expensive. <laughs> so I, I forget the name of the photographer, and you might know him, but there was a kind of a, a newer type of time lapse that was in Dubai. Is it hyperlapse? Hi- or not flow, flow motion? Flow motion. Yeah, uh, Rob Whitworth. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So how the hell did he do that? Yeah, I mean, that's honestly, so that's a combination of time-lapse, but it's also using like gimbal, gimbal controls and hyperlapse technology where you're basically moving the tripod along or you're on a gimbal system behind a subject and you're walking um, at yeah. the same pace as they are. So it creates the staggered effect uh, and it flows through the scene. Um, and basically everything is, is done. Is he part in, of your secret group? Mm, he's not actually. Uh, I think he's considered his own little... Very an outlier. So it's is. not a time lapse. It's a flow lapse. Or what, a, he's a flow lapser. It's a flow lapser. Yeah, he has a flow lapse group, but it's just him in it. It's pretty much it. <laughs> it's a lonely group. It's very lonely. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's a totally different style of time lapse. I mean, I'm a classically trained time lapse artist. So I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. put that out there. Um, but it's uh, there's it's great to see the different variations because there are variations out there. Um, but I like to stick to more traditional, um, contemporary time lapse. I guess. Yeah. yeah. So what are your go-to lenses that you have now, and what are your dream lenses to, to shoot these sort of things on? So dream lenses would be some Master Primes. I would love to shoot on some of those um, for time-lapse. But honestly, I just bought a whole set of Tokina's new uh, oh, yeah. the, Vista Series line. Yeah. Insane. Really? Like, crazy. They're, really? They're, they're really affordable. They are really affordable. I mean, I think 4500 to $5,000, uh, and they've got an 18 uh, T1.5 coming out in February. That's going to be seven or eight grand. Um, but the sharpness is phenomenal. I mean, uh, we were shooting Milky Way shots out there um, at 3.2 seconds at T1.5. And it was just, it, the clarity was incredible. Wow. And the sharpness. So if I wanted to get into night photography, what are, what are the first things I need to consider so I don't waste a whole night fucking it up? <laughs> well, first of all, you are going to fuck it up. Yeah, so right. it's, it's so plan gonna, on the first few plan nights. Plan on fucking up the first few all nights. Right. But really, you just want a camera that has got, got great um, ISO sensitivity. Um, so you want to be shooting somewhere in the range of 3,200 to 6,400. It's probably your, your prime area. Uh, shooting at you know, 10 seconds to 15 seconds. Anything past 15 seconds, in my opinion, you're going to see a blur in the, sky, in the stars. Um, and this also comes down to um, what millimeter you're using of lens. So if you're shooting at a very, and I'll say tight, but it's not that tight, but 25 millimeters, you really can't shoot past 8 seconds um, or else it's really going to see blurring in the stars. Um, but you want to be also shooting at a very fast aperture. So a 16 to 35, 2.8 is probably your slowest lens that yeah. you want to be shooting with. Okay. Uh, and if you're shooting with an F4 lens, you're really going to have to bump it up in ISO, ISO yeah. to like 12,800 uh, or even, you know, 30,000 ISO. Yeah. And it's really, not where you want to be. It's really not where you want to be. I mean, you really want to make sure your ISO is the lowest possible when shooting stars. That way you retain as much of that, those highlight, highlights and um, blacks in your, your, your frame. Um, but basically, you just need a, a kit that's got an f2.8 lens or better. Yeah, uh, and fif- around 15 millimeter. Yeah, I think 15 millimeters probably pretty good. 16 is is good. When you get to the higher ranges, like the the 20s and the 24s and the 25s, um, 
you really have to be on point because the sky is so big and even though it's wide at 25 it's not super wide so you really have to you know figure out what your composition is and, and frame up correctly hmm. so what about the the super wide fish eyed is that a no-no do you ever i don't shoot with fish eyes but i will say like um the the 11 to 24 from canon and the sony um 12 to 24 that the wide range at 11 and 12 is remarkable uh, you can get a lot of information, and um, because it has a rectangular, rectangular design, uh, it basically there's no barrel distortion. Everything is pretty much straight. Nice. Um, so it, it's really beautiful. So, what's next for you? I know you're you're speaking this week at uh, at Photo Plus. Um, yeah. What are you looking forward to? What's on your horizon of things? Vacation. Vacation. Yeah, nice. I am going. My house. Um, <laughs> I haven't been home in two months. I've literally been, I, I came straight off a plane basically from uh, New Zealand to here. And I stayed at home for like a day to get stuff together and then bounced out here with my wife. And then I'm really hoping to slow down a little bit to take a breather. Be, that's a good problem to have. Actually. It's a good, it's you a great problem to have. I, I'm where you want to be. very fortunate not to, because generally speaking, this is probably the slower times of the years because television shows have shut down already or about to shut down. Mm-hmm. And the marketing is just not there for, for commercials or advertising. So November to February is usually super slow. Um, but I actually have a full calendar for November and December right now. So, so what, do you, what do you know about the A7S III? Hmm? Everything. Yeah. And let me just tell you that it's going to be <laughs> – did you get that? Yeah. I think the mic cut off. Yeah. yeah. No, we have that Adobe software we can reinvent. You can reinvent. Yeah. Perfect. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know anything about an A7S III. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure if there is one, that it's – Really good. That'll be cool. Really yeah. cool. Awesome. So where can everyone go to find your work? And- yeah. I mean, they can check me out at district7.com and on Facebook at uh, District 7 Media and then also on Twitter at District 7. Do you, no, just from a media. Do you do tutorials or sell anything? On I your do. Site Actually, I have got classes through Skillshare. So cool. if anyone goes on to Skillshare.com and types in time lapse, they can find some of my time lapse work there um, and do a basic intro into basic time lapse photography and learn how to do it that way. Um, or catch me out on my Facebook page and ask questions. Nice. Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much. This has been a pleasure. It's yeah. been a pleasure, too. Thank you guys for having me. Do you have any uh, Jerry Springer final thoughts? Final thoughts. Um, yeah, always make sure to turn off anything auto on your camera. Yeah. Because that is the biggest time-lapse mistake. Everyone always leaves on, you know, even image stabilization is going to screw up your shot. So. P, P for professional. P for professional. <laughs> <laughs> Not well, in the time-lapse That's world. a good tip. Thank you so much yeah. for stopping by. Uh, it was nice to meet you. I'm a big fan of your work. And uh, to download this episode and the entire season five here in New York, you can go to rggedupodcast.com and also subscribe on iTunes. We're on Google, we're on SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Thanks so much. Don't forget every Wednesday. Wednesday. Every Wednesday. Wednesday. Humday. Awesome. After Robert had his heart broken, he went on to write the hit song, Love is a Battlefield, which he later sold to Patrice Benatar for a can of sour cream and onion Pringles. Season 5 of the RGG EDU podcast is brought to you by Tenzo, who 25 years ago set out to create the most durable, versatile, and well-made bags in the world for photographers and for filmmakers. From shipping to transport, rolling in air cases, to shoulder and messenger bags, day packs and accessories, Tenba never compromises, and neither should you. 